0: This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Liverpool Blood Red Podcast. Joining me today is Paul Gourst. Hello, Paul.
1: Hello, Connor. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Friday, isn't it? We're all all set for the weekend. Friday and sunshine. Happy days. Yeah, back in here, Saturday Sunday, so...
0: Well, you know... Such is life. Such is life on sport. Yep. And the next up is Dan Kay. Hello, Dan. How are you, Connor? I'm very well. And you are? Good, mate, yeah. Good, I'm pretty glad. And then last, but certainly not least, it's Keeva O'Neill. How are you, Keeva?
2: I'm very good. Friday feeling as well, even though I'm working tomorrow. You still get it, don't you?
0: Still get a little buzz on a Friday. Anyway, for those of you who listen to this on a Friday night, I hope you're about to enjoy a really lovely weekend in the sunshine. For those of you in here, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, some really exciting news for Liverpool this week. Um, their first transfer, Sepp Vandenberg, a 17-year-old Dutch centre-back from PS- PEC Zwolle. Really exciting. Liverpool have done their first bit of transfer of the summer. Paul Goss, tell me more.
1: Yes, seventeen-year-old uh, centre back made fifteen appearances last season for PEC Zwolle in the Eredivisie. Uh, I think I am pronouncing that right. Both um,
2: difficult words to say. PEC
1: Zwolle and Divisie, Um Played on the Amsterdam actually uh, for for most of the season, and obviously him being a legendary centre back himself, he another thing to two only about top-class centre halves and the fact that he's prepared to give a seventeen-year-old as many as fifteen appearances shows you that the, the talent that he's got in an area where. Um, Obviously, they've got Matthias Delight, haven't he? Uh, Holland, nineteen-year-old Ajax captain. So they, they clearly seem to trust the talent of it. Um, you know, if, if you what's the phrase? If you good enough, you're old enough. That seems to be the mantra in Holland. Um, so yeah, an exciting, uh, exciting prospect. He's going to go straight into the, the first team squad. Um, reports the training a week on Saturday with the rest of the first team. One point three million. It's, some are viewing that it it's a little bit of an underwhelming signing after just winning the Champions League, but I think it's the kind of profile that Liverpool are going to be after this summer and come out of nowhere kind of, didn't it? A little bit earlier this week. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he's like. He's, he's, he's left footed, um, seems to be comfortable on the ball, strong and, and quick and, um, You can't wait to to learn under Virgil van Dijk.
0: Yeah, he seems really excited. And I know that he's obviously really highly rated around Europe and from other clubs because of the interest from Ajax and PSV and Bayern Munich. And actually, a story came out in the Times from Paul Joyce that Bayern Munich rang him while he was on the medical table to try and convince him to sign. But Dan, what does that kind of show you about, you know, a young talent? Obviously, you might not have seen very much of him, but the fact that big clubs like Bayern Munich and Ajax are interested in him, what do you think that means for Liverpool and what a coup that is? Well,
3: definitely. I mean, I, I won't pretend that I'd even heard of him, to be honest, until <laughs> the deal broke earlier this week. But I think this shows the calibre of player that, you know, rightly Liverpool are not just interested in, but are th- that kind of cal- calibre of player is interested in coming to Liverpool. And, you know, for a club like Bayern Munich to be so desperate at such a late stage in proceedings to be still trying to gazump us and put a spoke in the wheels shows obviously how highly this lad is rated. I mean, if he's if he's a patch on our current Dutch centre-back, mm-hmm. then I think we'll all be happy, won't we? It's, <clears throat> I can understand what, to a certain degree why <clears throat> some Liverpool supporters will be not exactly doing cartwheels and, and painting the house red if, if um, with this particular signing. But I think people have to remember we're in a totally different position to what we've been in previous summers when there's been obvious areas that needed to be strengthened. There isn't at, at this particular stage. So I think fine-tuning the squad and bringing more top young talent into the club is quite rightly seen as, as, a, as a priority. And, you know, you've got to remember, we're still in June, you know what I mean? There's still two months of the transfer when they're left to go. So for those people's heads have fallen off because we haven't signed Neymar and Pele and very push guys just yet, you know, keep your powder dry because there's still a fair way to go with it. I, yeah.
2: think it's, go sorry to, I think it's massive that Bayern Munich, you know, they're a club who historically over the past few seasons as well, have got their deals done super early where it's like they're signing someone in January for the summer they're signing someone in the summer for whenever you know they get the deals done really early so for them to so late on make a bold move for this young kid I think tells us everything we need to know about you know this lad just sat there with getting his ECG done <laughs> you know the hello who's this to buy Munich you don't find it? nah I mean tomorrow the sign signing for <laughs> Liverpool and you know for this lad to then his quotes were amazing. You know how excited he is to come to Liverpool, and obviously Van Dyke's massive. You know he's he's still a Dutch, you know, a kid really, isn't he? And he'd be looking up to Van Dyke, who's like ten years his senior, isn't he? And he'd be thinking, you know, in ten years, can I can I be captain of Holland and you know stuff like that? And what a better there's, there's no better player in the world for him to train alongside. us the really Joel yeah. Matip. I mean, I'm talking about Joel not <laughs> Van Dyke now, but yeah. <laughs> amazing
0: no absolutely you know he's going to learn from the absolute probably Mm. best centre-back in the world right now and this seems like a very bright future for Liverpool in the defence but then with one in goes one out and that is Rafa Camacho Garcia I know you broke that news yesterday evening (laughs) tell me a little bit more about that deal and Liverpool seems to know not a great fee, 5 million, it looks a bit small, but they've got some details in the fine print, haven't they?
1: Yeah, they have, yeah, 5 million. Um, Camacho's gone back to Sporting, it could rise to 7, depending on, on appearances and so on. But I think the the crucial element of this deal for Liverpool is the 20% selling clause that they've got in the contract. Liverpool um, didn't want to sell him, they wanted to get him to renew his contract and then loan him. But Camacho had his heart set on a return back to his homeland. he found opportunities a bit limited at Anfield. Two first-team appearances last season, both at right-back, one as a substitute, one in the FA Cup. And to be fair to him, he's always seen himself more of a, of a winger and a bit of an attacker. And he said as much in, on his Instagram back in April, I think, when he scored a hat-trick against Leicester and then said, Um, don't know whose idea it is to put me at full-back, but I'm an attacker. This is in my DNA and stuff. And that kind of set alarm bells ringing as to his potential mind states at the time and all wasn't well with him despite breaking into the first team albeit tentatively so he's um he's left with, the, with he hasn't fallen out with Jürgen Klopp he's left left on good terms with the club um, and they've also had a buyback clause. but I think the, the 20% sell-on clause for a Portuguese club is, is quite interesting because they've historically raised so much money from selling their players over the last 20 years you look at Benfica Porto and Sporting themselves and um, between 2004 and 2014, Porto raised nearly £400 million from player sales. Um, Sporting have, have sold so many of their stars over the last 10 years. Islam Soleimani went, went to Leicester for about £25 million a couple of years back. So if Liverpool are to receive some further down line for Rafa Camacho's talents, then I think you'd probably look at it as a, as a decent deal.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I suppose in the wider perspective of that, Dan, it kind of shows you where Liverpool are at at the moment. They're not afraid to sell players, but they're not also afraid to, if, you know, a club's trying to charge them a lower fee, they're going to put in clauses and things in their contract that means they get a better deal out of it. And, you know, what, I guess, what does that tell you behind the scenes? It's not really always been that way.
3: No, and I think everyone can tell now that the way Liverpool go about the transfer business is really night and day, even to a couple of years ago when it's what, Two years ago, did well, I think we'd already reached this point two summers ago when they'd had to kind of issue this grovelling yeah. apology to Sam Hampton regarding Van Dijk. And, you know, I'd never seen, in you know a long time watching and observing football, I'd never seen anything like that. I think you look at what's happened in the last couple of years, the, the strategy that they've employed in terms of not letting themselves be pressured or hurried or bullied, really, into either buying or sell, selling players has massively borne fruit and... I think there's other clubs, you know, most notably probably one thirty-five yard, thirty-five miles down the East Lanks. A lot of their supporters and you know commentators that you'd hear talking about their situation over the summer, very much refers to them casting envious glances our way in terms of the you know the infrastructure that we've got in place regarding transfers. There was there was kind of a feeling going back a few years that, obviously millions of pounds have been ploughed into the club the club's academy for a long time now. But, how many players have actually really broken through since Gerard and there was a feeling that kind of it was all, was it almost just becoming a breeding ground to get young players train them up a bit and sell them on for profit and I think for all clubs of of our size, certainly that will always be a certain element there'll be an awareness that out of, oh, however big the crop you bring in, not all of them are going to make it, and some of them it will just be a case of making a bit of money on the transfer market. but the way the last couple of years have have panned out and Jürgen and the way Jurgen Klopp has shown his commitment to developing young players and giving them their heads if they feel that they're worth it, hopefully means that the likes of this young Dutchman that's come in and others will feel that, you know, the onus is on them to to deliver and to, and to fulfil their potential, but there is a potential path to first-team football for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that wider perspective, you know, with, you know, teams like United, who they've obviously been in battle with over so many years, and we've watched them, you know, take the glory so many times that you know they're now looking at Liverpool and thinking we want to be them we want to do a little bit of them and should that give fans who are maybe getting a bit angsty about us not signing any big names just a little bit of a calm down and just a little bit of a say look look what we've done and look what where we are right now look how clubs are looking at us
2: yeah definitely I think this is this you know the lad coming in for 1.3 was it yeah and this lad going out for five, you know, I think this keeps the net spend boys happy in that little, <laughs> you know, we haven't started, done much yet, but, you know, like you say, for all them years, we, we would sort of, the passengers, just sort of, you know, the bystanders, so to speak, watching Man United, Chelsea, even City, you know, do all this business, and, you know, we were just sort of there, like, selling, getting, you know, like, the Torres situation, and stuff like that. We were getting amazing players coming in and then they were sort of just leaving us. Now it seems to be like totally different. Like we've, you know, you don't know what happens behind the scenes. We've got hardly any pictures of Michael Edwards. so We don't know a lot about him, but, you know, they've got a brilliant group there that are just making decisions and you can sort of feel there must have been like, you know, they must agonise over hours over these contracts. And it just seems there's a team in place now for that. And, you know, this is sort of the success we've had quite recently is because of that. And, you know, we've built, this is like a foundation now to go forward where, you know, we don't have to spend all this money. And I feel like the fans should be happy. I'm happy as a fan because you do sort of come to that, you know, we could just go out and buy all these players for all this money, but at the same time, can we not just start buying younger players and bringing them through? And, you know, I think that's, you know, look at Alexander Arnold now. He's he's almost priceless to us. So, if more players like that can come through, and we can keep doing business in the way, the way, and manner which we are, you know, I, I just can't see how fans can be unhappy, other than wanting the big money signings. But they just need to understand that this isn't how Liverpool operates anymore. And when, you know, you come to terms with it, which I have, and it's quite difficult because, you know, you do just want them to go, hang on, let's buy him. But when we do buy them players, it is the Van Dykes and Alisson's and it's the players that, you know, are an absolute necessity.
1: I think, it's, sorry, Connor, I think you. if you look at Manchester United, some dealing so far, they've spent obviously 15 million on, on Daniel James from Swansea and looks like they're going to be getting Adam, Adam wan doesn't it, from Crystal Palace for 50. So there's a 65 million outlay already. Liverpool, in those two positions are already quite well off. They've obviously got Trent, who's just an unbelievable talent and we can sit here talking all day about how great he is. And then we've got Harry Wilson, who arguably enjoyed the better season with Derby than Daniel James did with Swansea. So I think sometimes it is that it's better the devil, you know, and um, I agree with what Kiva says sometimes, there are just academy graduates at the club that are there for a reason to save the club from entering into the market just for the sake of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the transfer market's always a gamble. And I think if you look at FSG, they've never. They've always said from the start that Liverpool are going to have to live within their means. They were never just going to throw loads and loads of money at it and just hope for the best because that is that is essentially a gamble. You're gambling with a lot, a lot of money there. And I think I wrote in a piece earlier this week, if you take yourself back to when FSG bought the club in October in 2010, Liverpool were bottom of the league. Roy Hodgson was in the dugout. Had the likes of like Paul Konczewski playing. Gileks and just It's just a horrible, horrible time. And I know they made some mistakes, but... What they've put in place over the last few years, getting Klopp in 2015 and bringing in these players and the amount of work that Klopp and his backroom staff have done to bring in the right talent, to me at least, just shows you that whatever they've got planned for this summer, even if that is buying no one, even if it's just buying academy players, that you should absolutely 100% trust exactly what their plan is. and. I don't know if anybody else would have a message to say to people that like feel like they need Liverpool need to spend to keep up with Manchester City, Dan.
3: Well, I mean, there's always a school of thought that you you strengthen when you're strong. You don't wait for the dip before you start to bring players in. And you know, I think as a general principle, that's you know, that's that's always something to bear in mind. And I do get the impression that if the right deal for the right player was to happen this summer, Liverpool would go for it. But, yeah, you know, without wanting this to be kind of like a rant against modern football and all its ills, there it does seem, I, I've had this perception for a while, kind of like with, you know, with Sky Sports News and Jim White and his yellow ties and all that palaver. That some supporters have allowed themselves to get into a kind of mindset where signing top players is almost is almost like a trophy to them. Yeah. yeah, And yeah. I mean, obviously, we all had a little bit of, the odd chortle here and there. Was it after? Was it after the last summer window when Everton proclaimed themselves as having won the window? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it two years thing. ago. Yeah, it's two yeah. years ago now. Yeah, um, two. I mean, I've you know, to kind of slightly contradict myself. I've always been kind of one of these that, as a general rule of thumb, I've always liked the idea of bringing in, if you can, even if it's just one every window, just to freshen the cha- you know the, the dressing room up, the training ground up, a new face, a new voice around the place, but. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, over the years Liverpool have seen that when you do spend money for the sake of it in haste and without due, doing your due diligence, it can massively come back to bite you in the backside. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're we're now in this lovely position where there's, there's no. It's not like ev- everyone in the world of football knows we desperately need a centre back. We desperately need a goalkeeper. <clears throat> one of the, to me, one of the most satisfying transfers in recent times, obviously very much so because of the way it's played out since was Fabinho in terms of the way it was timed literally 48 hours after the disappointment of Kiev in terms of it was I thought it was a, a, you know, a smart piece of PR in terms of kind of getting everyone up and positive yeah. again yeah. but more than anything else the fact that none of us had even had an inkling it was happening until, until bump signed sealed, delivered and that was like an old school transfer deal rather than you know the tedious interminable 15 updates a day for six weeks <laughs> before it finally gets over the line so, you know, like I said, there's, there's still two months to go. I would, you know, I'd be surprised if we didn't bring anyone in. But I'm kind of quite confident and comfortable to basically just sit back, let the guys do the stuff. And when they've got something to say, they'll say it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Couldn't agree with that more. Give, I'm going to ask you a bit of a left field question here. If Liverpool don't buy any big players, and if they don't spend the big money this summer, which they're not really likely to do if the right deal comes up, as Dan says, they will strike and they've shown that in the past of Alisson to a certain extent with Fabinho for sure. Should they spend it on the Anfield road stand?
2: That's quite interesting, isn't it? Do you know what? Yeah. They should, because, you know, this squad aren't gonna stagnate with these players. These are all, you know, a lot of world class players. Best team in Europe right now, hands down. And so
3: young. Yeah. You know, I mean, so the I average
2: age is like twenty-six yeah. or something. I think the average age against Barcelona was twenty-six. So, you know, this is a squad, that they say twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven is the peak sort of age for a striker, let alone, you know, other players as well and centre-backs can... Virgil van Dijk's going to be playing for the next 100 years, I think. (laughs) So, you know, this is definitely now where they look at, something like that, something for the fans to give back. I said in um, the pod of Fitz yesterday about, you know, we spend our whole season sort of watching them and then when the parade come through, they Mm. then watch us and, you know, it is a bit of a give-back now, not only in the, the trophy that they've won us there, but... You know, to see safe standing as well, I think would be just a, a massive boost for the fans. You know, it's our match day experience and, you know, we, we spend a lot of money going home and away and to see the stadium because, you know, it is our forever home, I'd like to think. And what they done in the main stand is absolutely fantastic. It's it's absolutely, I've went in the main stand well before they'd, they'd done it up and then it took me a moment. she was just absolutely like enthralled by it all. Like, what is this new? And it wasn't like that, you know, modern sort of football. It hasn't took away that sort of the the feeling of like the old school. It just made the ex- match day experience better. And, you know, to see that extended to all four corners of Anfield would be great.
3: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool
2: Echo.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I of what I was getting in it might have felt a bit of like a shoehorned in thing but when they're not spending the massive money on the players obviously not bringing in you're not spending the millions in the first outlay but then they're also not spending the money on every week with a big weekly wage and things but do you think that is I know it doesn't quite work the same their transfer pot is not the same as their stadium pot it's not the same as their. but do you think that could free up some money eventually down the line Gorsley
1: yeah, well, it's when you buy a footballer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think the way it works is the transfer fee is paid over the length of the contract. So Liverpool didn't give Roma sixty-five million for Allison last summer. If it was a five-year deal, it'd be you know whatever that is, ten million or whatever. Um, but if they're not actually paying for these players, then there is spare funds, isn't it? And I think they've got planning permission up until September before they obviously have to head back into discussions with with the council and, and whoever else. So. Maybe. Um, we might see something on that before September. It'd be great to, to have some sort of update, wouldn't it, for, from the club. Um, but I think they've got the main standard. It's been a roaring success. It's been been nearly three years now, hasn't it? So it's time to, uh, to crack on with the other one.
0: Yeah, certainly. And Dan, I'm going to ask you the same question. But just in terms of what Key was saying... We've got a, pre, a we've got a really world class squad. They're yeah. young enough; they've got a few years left in them. It's not like we're going to have to see Liverpool go and spend hundreds of millions each summer now to get something back, like you know United probably are going to have to do for the next couple of years. Your opinion on the stand?
3: Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, I've always been quite critical about the uh, extension that they made to the Anfield Road. In 1997, I think it was. Now, they were stymied to a certain extent by, I think, planning regulations, something to do with kind of like light laws or sound laws at the time. But effectively, all they did was basically put, I think I think there's only 13 rows in that upper tier. So it was kind of, you, you could argue it was hardly really kind of worth the bother. Now, when the new main stand was unveiled nearly three years ago, I think it was September 2016, straight away, obviously, once people were kind of wild and, you know, and, and it is, you know, back of what Kiva said then. It, it's it's kind of it's in it's in keeping with the rest of the ground the new main stand you can go to well, I always kind of think Newcastle's a prime example you've got one massive stand one massive side and one massive end and then one small side and one end and it looks massively lopsided whereas i do think they've done a terrific job with it but in the immediate aftermath of that the a lot of the talk was well what about the only road then that's the next step surely <clears throat> and the kind of the general noises coming out the club were we don't know if it's going to be worth our while. I think initially, I I think I'm right in saying that some of the surprise, maybe not that surprising because obviously where the club was in a footballing sense then as to where it is now, not all the corporate stuff sold as quickly or as strong as they, thought, as they thought they would. I think maybe there was still kind of like a feeling that with financial fair play not really being adopted and that being kind of a fairly key aspect of kind of Fenway's ownership model when they bought in in 2010, were they, were they still kind of thinking, is it worth our while building a new stand if we're going to be getting off in a year or two? I think the way the last couple of years have, have panned out, obviously, in such a positive way, on and off the pitch with the club really now punching their weight on the field and clearly delivering. Um, I think I think we had a piece on, on in the last couple of days, basically, saying how kind of like, for years and years, United have been way ahead of us in a commercial and financial sense, <laughs> yeah. and that gap is closing. So <clears throat> I think all these factors add into you know, uh, a theory that this hopefully is something that the club are looking at doing um, because whether they are still thinking of an exit strategy in three, four, five, ten years' time, all extending the Anfield Road stand is only going to improve the value of the club, the value of the stadium, the value of the overall, even though I load this word, brand.
2: <laughs> I think especially if you sit there as well because if anyone sat in the lower at the back you just can't see the match and then everyone wants to stand up and it just becomes this sort of arguments among supporters with people saying sit down I can't see anything you know that's not fit for, for purpose no, those seats at the back of that
3: know. stand I mean I'm two foot nothing even I have to, to lean down when I've been
2: down there to <laughs> see the pitches. so it, it does need improvement as well yeah, yeah absolutely
0: well we can hope and hopefully that's the next thing to come for Liverpool and that would be amazing but I'm going to leave that there and obviously all the players right now are away on international duty we're a good deal of them anyway there is the Copper America going on, there's Copper Letadoras, and there is the AFCON. Obviously, Salah, Mane, Keita, all out there. And, you know, they have mixed fortunes, but one who's had a very bad turn is Nabi Keita. He obviously had an injury, picked up an injury against Barcelona in the first leg and lost 3-0, picked up a groin injury. It's pretty serious. It gets him out for the rest of the season and Liverpool monitoring it. And to be honest, the club didn't really want him to go to the AFCON. His country really wanted him to go. He's the captain, and understandably, that puts him in a really difficult position. But, of course, do you tell me what's happened?
1: Yeah, so uh, Kenny were in action last night against um, Nigeria ooh, Nigeria of course yeah, group leaders group B leaders uh, Super Eagles Super Eagles of course they got beat 1-0 uh, and Keita only lasted 71 minutes um, come off with what's been described as both thigh and shin injuries which doesn't sound too good does it and if they lose to Burundi on Sunday then then they're going home and, and Keita's afcon will be a miserable spell that one substitutes appearances and the other one coming off injured so um, more injury woe for him Liverpool will obviously be a bit frustrated and annoyed he didn't really want to stand in his way but would have preferred them to not have gone I'd guess um, so yeah it's disappointing but with it being still still quite early before pre-season properly gets underway then hopefully it's it's nothing too serious and he'll be back um, next month at Melwood fitting, firing and, and ready to go but yeah that's um, undoubtedly another injury worry for Liverpool Concerning that navigator specifically?
0: Yeah, so obviously that the hope is that he's gonna come back, you know, a couple of weeks into preseason and be fine. But, you know, we haven't really heard the extent of the injuries, but you know, it kind of feels like he's been rushed back a little bit and what do you think Klopp would be thinking there? Because you know he was coming into form before he got his injury yeah. against Barcelona and they've been looking at pre-season like a time where they could get Naby Keita up to full firing form, get him in the team as that creative player and, and really do something with him. But how do you think that's going to go now if he can't you know get back in for the first few weeks of, of the summer?
1: Well, he, he would have been given a few weeks extra off anyway. So he wouldn't have been coming back to training on July the 6th. But all the players have been given like specially tailored uh, training programmes across the summer and he will be no different. So... The specifics of that, obviously, we're not privy to, but they will certainly have been looking at how they could get him fit and ready, you know, considering he'd missed the best part of six weeks to two months with that injury against Barcelona. So this is just another problem, another setback. So that'll have to be factored in. And it could could have an impact, couldn't it, of him hitting the ground running when, when the pool season gets underway in August?
0: Yeah, certainly so. But he's hoping it's not too serious. But from one African player to another, and Dan, I'm going to come to you here because on this day, Sadio Mane, I like day. for Liverpool
3: three years ago. Now,
0: start of this season. Tell me, what did you predict? I predicted that he'd be a massive flop.
3: We should <laughs> sell him to Everton or someone like that. And um, no, well, I—I I, I mean, to be fair, I wasn't actually. I said he. I think we were doing a week or two before the start of the season. Who's going to be his top scorer? And everyone was saying Mo Salah, and I just kind of thought, well, he's—he's he's had two seasons with us by this point. I—I I think from day one. I've seen, seen something this morning. That that goal on his debut at Arsenal got to be one of the greatest Liverpool debut goals of all time. That mm, I mean, yep. razzed it down the left, cut uh, on the down the right hand side, cut inside, and rocketed it into the top corner with his left foot. Um, he didn't actually finish top scorer. Mo Salah's penalty in Madrid edged him out 27 to 26.
1: Wouldn't Whereas be feel feel, after,
3: would you? No, not, not one <laughs> iota. But um, I was, um, yeah, he, he had a terrific season. I think, you know, some players. Numbers don't really do them justice. He got 26 goals. I'm not sure how many assists he got, but he was a constant threat. Um, he's such a—he's so strong. He's so physical. He's so—it must be a nightmare to play against. And one thing that I— one thing I like about him more than anything else is his hunger. I think I remember in in kind of like you know the, the run in the last couple of months of the season. I remember a few people kind of commenting. You could see it was very clear how it was always very clear how much we all were desperate to win the league but a few people kept saying "Cater wants to win this league just as much if not more than any of this and one little thing from Madrid from the gazillion times I've already watched various bits and bobs of it back in the um, so in the, in, in the uh, after the final whistle before the cup was actually presented as Jordan Henderson Ian Rush having brought the, the trophy out before the game with Ledley King when it had red and white ribbons on was tasked with bringing it out with its beautiful Crimson ribbons on for the actual invading, basically bringing it up to the plinth to lay it down. And Mane just couldn't stop himself and basically legged it over and kind of like half jumped, half kind of like bounced into Rushy, just kind of like, here it is. Here's my cup. Minutes till I get my hands on it now. And that to me just said the desire this lad has for success. Um, I, I, t- to me, he's one of the best players we've had in the time that I've been watching him. And the beauty part is you still feel there's an awful lot more to come from him.
0: Yeah, He's young, he's hungry,
3: and he's got an amazing team around him that he enjoys playing with, they enjoy playing with him, and they all seem to have a ball doing it, which is the perfect... Recipe for success, really.
0: Yeah, certainly. He uh, he gave a really interesting interview actually while he's been away at the AFCON I don't know if anybody's seen it, but he was talking about his time growing up. And he actually fled home at six o'clock in the morning because his mum and dad didn't want him to become a footballer and didn't want him to play football because they wanted to concentrate on his studies. He left home at six o'clock in the morning, hid his sports bag in the long grass, and went to Dakar, which is the Senegalese capital. And he was turning up to train he said, in wire boots like he stitched back together himself yeah. just to play football. And he wants it so so much, and you can see that on the pitch, can't you?
2: Most definitely. I done a piece a few weeks ago. The BBC had done BBC Africa. I think it's bambali where he's from. I could be wrong there. His village, and you know, it's. I think there's a population of like two thousand people, and like obviously last year he famously bought them all. Like I think three hundred Liverpool jerseys with his name on, and you know, um it was the the little video was bef- before the last day of the Premier League and um, so obviously they were all excited you know hoping Liverpool could do it we didn't so you know but the kids all ran to this like dusty sort of like pitch that they've got by the school and were playing anyway running around with his name on the on the back of the top and then you know I, I wrote in the thing like they would have done that same thing after we won the Champions League final and been running but you know he's their son and it was just a really emotional video to watch and you know this is his first trophy as well I think and Just, just massive for him and what a player. He's, it's sad for these players sometimes because they sort of get swallowed up by each other's success. Like in reality, he's like an absolute talisman, but then we've got Salah and Firmino, Mm -hmm. got all these other players. So, it's amazing that we've got such a great team, but it's unfortunate as well for these individuals because, you know, they are all so talented. That you, it's like, I love mother. You can't give them all your attention at once, can <laughs> you? Yeah, kind of yeah. And I'm kind of like, I love Mane, I love it. I love Salad, I love Firmino, I love the rest of them. But um, just phenomenal. And he's got sort of that childlike sense of like wonder, I always think, when he plays, he just plays like... You know, like kids play in the street, like they sort of like don't know what they're going to do next, but they always sort of know. And he, I love watching him. He's one of them players. He'll he'll just pause on the ball for like a second and shimmy his foot. And then he's gone and yeah, you don't know that what. That change your pace. I no. just, yeah, I absolutely adored him.
0: Yeah. So coming to you on that really ghosty, obviously Liverpool have got Firmino and Salah and they're absolute superstars. But, you know, the season before last, Salah was in just his sensational form broke countless personal records player of the year and all the rest of it do you think Manny is now you know sin that he's just a talented and coming to his own more this year and give him Liverpool more this year just as much as Salah has perhaps as well
1: yeah undoubtedly as Dan says Salah only, only got one more than him didn't he with, with the penalty in Madrid and I think I think at this point now you have to look at Sadio Mane he's, he's been at Liverpool three years and you think where, where does he rank now in terms of the, the best players in Europe back to back Champions League finals he's been instrumental in both Campaigns. He's he's probably the one who, when the other two aren't quite having the best of of afternoons or evenings, Maney never goes missing. Even if he's not, um, he's always there trying, isn't he? And I think his sign is probably the catalyst for for Liverpool under Klopp actually, because whilst they've always had Firmino and, and Coutinho, was was great as well. His signing, I think he finished his first season top, during top scorer with 12 or 13. And, and he missed half of it with he, injury yeah, in the African he, Nations. Yeah, he got the injury. He went to the African Nations, didn't he, and got the knee injury against Everton on the 1st of April. But um, That season, he was incredible, and he was a big part of Liverpool finishing in the top four, which has obviously made them kick on since. And I think now you, you, you do have to kind of take stock and think, where does he rank amongst Europe's best?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was touted at the time that he was... A waste of money by people when we first bought him from Southampton. We paid over the odds for him. But I mean, he's somewhat proved that wrong. <laughs> um, I'm going to end this podcast on your favourite Sadio Mane moment. Um, and there's plenty to choose from. Who am I going to start with and give the honour? I will go first if you want to have a little bit of thinking time. Go on. I'm going to pick Bayern Munich. I think that goal the way he picks that ball out from Van Dyke. Is incredible the touch to literally send more to the floor, one of the Mm. the world's best goalkeepers, put that in the net and set the tone for that game to lit like in in the Allianz, Liverpool progressing to the semi final. I thought that was sensational. It well, I mean,
3: that was very much near the top of my choices to pick because I think the other thing to mention about that, you know, technically it's a phenomenal goal, but also as well, the context of the game. Half an hour into the second leg of a massive two-legged yeah. European Cup tie at 0-0, an away goal. You could argue that was one of the absolute kind of like fundamental key moments As of the Liverpool whole, season yeah. Yeah. in terms of in, you know, instilling that belief that this team could go all the way to the final again and hopefully win it. I think I'm going to go for his Derby debut. Okay, ninety plus four. Monday <laughs> night, just before Christmas, Evertonians getting ready for their open-top bus tour. I haven't got another famous draw, <laughs> and uh, he's on his toes as, as Daniel Sturridge <coughs> shoots from the edge of the box. He's on his toes, following it in, and one of the best celebrations I've ever been involved with in the uh, the rickety Old Bullins Road stand. Love it,
1: of course, they- Go on, I'll, I'll let Kiva go. I've got mine, but if, if she does if she picks this now, then I'm going to struggle. What? Well, go on.
2: I mean, they're up there them too, and I'm like, you took that one, and then I was thinking, the Derby go, <laughs> and then now I'm going back to what Dan said mentioned before because it just set the tone, and I've I've wrote a little piece about Mane and how underwhelmed people were by the signing and stuff, mm-hmm. which you can check out on our website. Um, <laughs> so basically, is 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 goal against Arsenal his Debian. debut yeah. was just phenomenal. You just, it, you just sort of, you know, with all that in the media and on Twitter and Facebook and people saying, you know, 30 million for this player. Salampton he's, again. You know, yeah, he's only, sure. you know, all that that went with it, the negativity and he just completely just burnt all that away and like people were eating the words basically because that goal was just, you know, I think the ball comes from like Lovren or something. I can't even remember who sort of plays it through but doesn't really mean to. Just sort sort of got someone on the back, hit it to him and then he just, literally just destroys two defenders careers. I can't remember who it was, but two of them just sort of just, just die on the pitch. But basically <laughs> they just collapse and he's there and the finish is so excited. But the best thing about it is obviously the celebration. Yeah. He just runs and points to Klopp and then Klopp just mad- magically sort of gets him on his back and then he gives <laughs> him a little piggyback. And that was just sort of the moment where he's gone, you know, you've, you've sort of brought me here and this is why. And that was sort of a coming together and, it set the tone, didn't it really? Yeah. You yeah. know,
1: that. and how many great goals has he scored since? Absolutely. I think 59 goals. Mine would have been yours, actually, kind of the Bayern Munich moment, but since you've all picked me substitutes, <laughs> <and> me backups, <laughs> ball, ball. I'm going to go with uh, the goal against Wofford. Um, ah, yeah. 5-0 win at yeah. home to Wofford is, oh. is pretty, you know, run of the mill, I suppose. Um, but that goal where it gets crossed in and it's kind of behind them and he, Controls it and then his backs to goal about twenty yards out and I think it, it was a Foster who's, yeah. who's on rushing and he just chops it into the floor with the back heel yeah. loops over him into the net and it was just yeah. just in. a piece of ingenuity that you don't really see too often in the game where players have of being given instructions to the letter so. Um, I'd pick that as, as my fourth favourite money moment.
3: And I think a little footnote should go to his first goal in that game, which was a brilliant header. It was a great ball in from Trent, but it was a really, really yeah. good header because I was at that yeah, in He's got a lot stronger with a bit it, high for him that, mm. And the way he kind of hung in the air and stretched his neck, he's got he's got it all in his locker.
0: Yeah, a real, real talent and so excited to see what he brings next season. But I think that brings us to a close for today. We will be back on Monday and thank you very much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter and you can find us. I'm at Connor Seven. PT Ghost. Dan Kate.
2: Kiva Sport, C-A-O-I-M-H-E, Sport.
0: Thank you very much.
2: You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.